You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I kind of felt hysterical at the end of that game. I, I can't even wrap my head around what transpired at the end of that game. And we have one man, well, technically two, but he hired the second one. So we have one man to thank for, thank all that for, and that is the one and only Matt Eberflus. We are going to talk about this mess of a game, this mess of a finish, I should say, with the Detroit Lions and what in the world is going on. We're going to talk to Herb Howard. If you don't know Herb, Herb is awesome. I've had a chance to really kind of consume some of his Bears content. He's on the Bears beat for the Bigs website, and he's on CHGO. He's on their podcast every Monday with Hogue and Carm. He does a fabulous job. He's going to be by here in just a little bit. But let's dive into this first, because I've got so much on my mind it's all swirling around in a giant tornado. So let me see if I can put some semblance of order into this because that was a historic loss. The Bears now have two historic losses in the same season. Let's rewind back to 2014 with Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman was the offensive guy, right? We always have these splits. Matt Nagy was the offensive guy. The defense did the defense stuff. Matt Eberflus is the defensive guy. Luke Getze is in charge of the offense. Mark Tressman was the offensive guy. He wasn't in charge of the defense. That was the great and powerful Mel Tucker. And Mel was bad at his job. How Mel, you know, forget what happened to Mel here this year. How Mel even ascended as far as he did was just shocking to me based on what he did in 2014. But when the Bears gave up back-to-back 50 burgers to the Patriots and the Packers, and did so. That Patriots game, I'm pretty sure, was a late game that had a lot of eyeballs on it. And then the Packers was prime time. And what was it? 42 to nothing at halftime. Just an absolute humiliation. That was the end of Mark Tressman. It didn't matter that he wasn't the, was the defensive guy. It didn't matter. He was in charge of that football team. And that football team embarrassed itself. Now we fast forward to this season. Denver Broncos. The biggest blown lead in franchise history. 104 years of Chicago Bears football. They had never blown a lead that big. Then we turn around. You know, win probability. The win probability, the peak against the Denver Broncos, was not as high as the peak against the Detroit Lions. You're up two touchdowns with a third of a quarter to go 
a twelfth of the football game remaining, and you can't hold on to it because you went conservative and stupid on so many occasions, and we're going to get into all of it. I just don't even understand how you can hold on to the football for 40-plus minutes, have a plus three in turnovers, in the turnover margin, and you can't win the football game. I mean, I remember, they, they've talked about this on broadcast for 30 years, about if you run the football 40 times, you basically always win the football game. We haven't even talked about the fact that they ran the football 46 times. that you could do this but here we are with Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze and their continued incompetence on the sidelines where we say it time and time again the Chicago Bears players and while this roster is better than it's been the last couple of years this Chicago Bears this team has to outperform the opposing players every game because the coaching staff is going to be outcoached basically in every game. It's unbelievable how much they put them behind the eight ball with their poor choices. And let's talk about Luke Getze here first. Let's talk about this offense and some of the decisions he made where he continues to clearly not trust Justin Fields. And I don't get it. And I'm just going to say this and speaking this out loud sounds dumb. But it certainly feels like Luke Getze trusts Tyson Bajit more than he trusts Justin Fields. Because Justin Fields is running for 100 yards. He's making great decisions. He's not turning the ball over. He's not taking sacks. He's getting the ball out. He's doing everything you want. And then when you have a two-touchdown lead, and tell, instead of telling Justin Fields to go out there and win the game, you're our guy. No, let's, let's just take the ball out of his hands. Let's just run the ball up the middle on stacked boxes and, and see if we can somehow eke out a victory. What are you doing? Let Justin Fields play. Let him be Justin Fields. Stop doing this to this guy. What, what on earth is Luke Getzey thinking? Like, when, when you're, you're bringing the ball down the field and you run the ball twice and it's third and seven and you run the ball to Roshan Johnson... At that point, you've already settled for a field goal? What are you doing? You at nine-point lead. Put the nail in the coffin. Tell Justin to go down there for a touchdown. But you're already, at first and ten at that point, you were already set to just take a field goal. You wanted a field goal. Then you have an opportunity to ice the game. You're still winning, and you run more crap into the middle of the line of scrimmage where it's just stacked and there's no room and you're not even giving Justin Fields a chance to run. You're not doing anything of interest. You're just playing boring Dolph football. This wasn't like 50 seconds to go where all you want to do is get the Lions out of timeouts and then punt the ball back to them and put them on their own 20 with, you know, 25 seconds to go and no timeouts. That wasn't this. There was three, four minutes to go. What's the hell's the difference if the, if the Lions get the ball back with 320 or 250? Let Justin pass. Give him a high percentage pass. Roll him out. Say, all right, Justin, here's a one or a two read play. If it's not there, take off. Get some yards and stay in bounds. Let the best player on the field be the best player on the field instead of just saying, all right, Justin, it's time to hand the ball off. So in that last possession, 
And I haven't heard anyone talk about this. The third and nine, the throw to Tyler Scott. I will admit, in my first reaction, when I'm watching the game live, my first reaction is, Justin, what are you doing? It's nine yards for the first. We need a first down, not a touchdown. That's what the Bears needed there. Why are you launching the ball down the field? That was dumb. That was my first reaction. Then, you know, you start seeing the play, and then you see the play call. And the play call is DJ Moore. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. DJ Moore going across. If the safety comes up, then he's taking away DJ Moore, and you got one-on-one with Tyler Scott. So the read then is to throw it deep to Tyler Scott. So then my reaction is, Luke Getze, what are you doing? How is the second read on third and nine to launch the ball down the field 40 yards? All right. And this is the one thing I haven't heard anyone say, read anywhere. And if you're going to call that play, you've decided this is what I want. I want Justin to have an opportunity to do an Aaron Rodgers kill shot and the game. All right, fine. I don't agree with it, but fine. Tyler Scott is the option. What are you doing? Tyler Scott, who's not the punt returner because he kept dropping him in the preseason. Tyler Scott has bad hands. Maybe he's going to turn into something in year two or year three. He's not there now. Why isn't Darnell Mooney running that route? What are you doing? Big play. You've got three targets on this team you should trust. DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Cole Komet. How is Tyler Scott option two? What on earth is Luke Getze thinking about in that situation? It is incredible how conservative they get. And when they do finally say, all right, Justin, go get a first down. When it's already a long shot, that's what they do. It's incredible. And Matt Eberflus, who sits there and just wants to play for field goals and and, and play defense. This is 2023. This is not how we play football anymore. This is not 1977 where the Pittsburgh Steelers are up on the Oakland Raiders 12 to 10 in the fourth quarter. This isn't how we play football anymore. But Matt Aberflus wants to play it that way because he's a defensive-minded coach. And we, we've seen this crap time and time again in Chicago when you hire the wrong coach. It is so frustrating, so frustrating that this is still where we are at in 2023. And Matt Eberflus, then you listen to him post-game. Let's talk about this for a minute. You just do him post game on Sunday, and before even there are questions, you know he knows he's going to be asked about the field goal, so he comes out. He had everything backwards. All right, the Bears went to go up nine. They went from six to nine. They, and that was fourth and inches. And I'm a really conservative armchair coach. I was fine with that decision. Go up two scores. I'm good with it. And then because of the stupid call on third and seven, now you've got fourth and six, go up two touchdowns at that point. That's fine. I'm not mad that they didn't go for it on fourth and six. I'm mad about what they did on third down there. But Matt Eberflus, if you go listen to him, Matt Eberflus thought the fourth and inches was the second field goal to go from nine to 12. And let me tell you that, as a conservative armchair coach when I'm watching the game, and if you remember, I said after the Broncos game, I would have kicked the three because I'm conservative. Give me the lead, and I understand the Broncos were torching the defense. Give me the lead, and let's play football. But on if you're already up two scores, and you have fourth and inches, 
and you think the right call is to kick the field goal? Now, again, I know it's hypothetical, but I'm just saying Matt Eberflus, in his postgame, thought the field goal to go up from 9 to 12 was the fourth and in inches. And he thought that was a good idea to go up, you know, to keep it at two scores but make it two touchdowns instead of a touchdown and a field goal. That's worth not going for on fourth and in inches? He's ridiculous. He is a ridiculous human being. And then on Monday, when he addresses the media again, and he starts getting pressed on some things about, because Matt Eberflus finally says, we need to execute better and we need to coach better. He finally said it. Someone in PR or someone pulled him aside and said, Matt, you sound kind of like an ass when you sit there and keep blaming the players. You know, you got to take some accountability. You guys are a team. Someone finally got to him. He finally said it. We're, we're basic, practically in December. He finally said it in year two that it was sometimes it's on the coaches. And then I believe it was Jason Leisure. Give him credit. He pushed Eberflus. What would you have done differently? You know what Eberflus said? He gave him, oh, you know, you, you look at this situation, a bunch of generic crap. Then he's like, but then we had some good play calls and goes, let's go back to the Carolina game and some of the great defensive play calls. Who called those plays? Me. I, I'm not kidding. This happened. If you didn't hear this press conference, go listen to it. Me called those calls against Carolina that worked. And then he goes back to the Saints game and wants to pat himself on the back for calls that he made at the end of the first half. The Saints won that game and he's patting himself on the back like he called some great game. This guy is a clown. He is a joke. Throw whatever you want. Just pile it next to his name. This was an embarrassing loss for the franchise. And if the nice, happy buzz at Hallis Hall still exists around Matt Eberflus after this game, then I want Ryan Poles gone. If Ryan Poles, and yes, heist for the first pick, Darnell Wright, Braxton Jones, we, you know, Kyler Gordon's looking good, Tyreek, there's plenty of positives from Ryan Poles. I'm not saying there's not. But if Ryan Poles assessing coaching thinks that Matt Eberflus is still his guy, then Ryan Poles needs to go too. Kevin Warren just needs to go find the hell with both of you. I don't know if Kevin Warren's going to do that. And hopefully Ryan Poles can sit there and go, all right, maybe Matt is not the guy to be coaching my team. Because my God, if he still believes in Matt Eberflus, there is a problem, a problem at Hallis Hall. And all this comes on a day where Justin Fields was awesome. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. He was awesome. The Lions played more man, a little different than what Justin Fields has been seeing. So Justin Fields went back to running the football 100 yards. Then you want to have the meatball for 170 yards. It's not good enough. He had 275 all-purpose yards. What do you want from this guy? He took what the defense gave him. He got a beautiful deep shot to to DJ Moore. He had, again, the throw to Tyler Scott was perfect. Tyler Scott flubbed that up. You can't blame Justin Fields for that. He had two, three mistakes total. He took a sack. He did miss a couple possibilities of getting a little deeper, but again, it didn't cost the Bears anything. And if I'm just speaking, Frank, the final play of the game for the Bears, the, the, the safety, I don't know how you don't see Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, he's, he's coming at his face. Like, Justin, you got to keep your head look. Yeah, look around a little bit. I have no problem with Justin holding on to the ball there because Justin needs to make a play. I think it was Joe Burrow who said, I don't care if I get sacked on third down. I thought this was a really good point. Situational sacks. Joe Burrow says, if it's third and long and I get sacked, I don't care 
because I'm trying to get a first down. We're at third and nine. I know I need 10, 11 yards, 15 yards. I need a play to develop down the field. So I'm going to hold on to the football. And if I get sat there, instead of it being fourth and nine, it's fourth and 14. Who cares? That's so insignificant. And he's right. But you get sacked on first or second. You get sacked on first and 10 or second and six. It crushes the drive. So there is something to situational sacks. So I don't have a problem with Justin Fields holding the ball at the, at the end there. But he, I don't know how he didn't see Aiden Hutchinson. But it's fine. This is not a knock on Justin Fields. Justin played great. He, he was absolutely fantastic. He, he did everything. High completion percentage. He got the ball out quick. He didn't hold on to the ball very long. I mean, you know, most of the time he made the deep, he, the deep shots when they were there. He took the ball on the ground because that's what the defense was giving him. He did everything right. Every right. And this is what happens in this game. I mean, you really can't wrap your head around it. And Tremaine Edmonds. Let me talk about Tremaine Edmonds for a second because I put out another tweet because you know me. If you've been listening to this podcast, I've about had it with Tremaine Edmonds. And Tremaine Edmonds is having another crappy game, and I put out how it was a poor allocation of resources to pay this man, and then he gets an interception. And everyone wants to jump in my mentions. Ugh, you know, nice job with that one. All right, it was a great play from Javon Dexter tipping that ball right into Tremaine Edmonds' hands. He held on to it. Good for him. Then fast forward to the fourth quarter, and he had a terrible missed tackle. Jameer Gibbs and allowed Jameer Gibbs to get out of bounds. One of the worst plays, like when you talk about the impact plays that cost the Bears that game, that is right near the top of the list. So again, we sit there and go, Tremaine Edmonds making $17 million more per season than Jack Sanborn. And Jack Sanborn was already on the team, and this wasn't a Ryan Pace guy, this was a Ryan Poles guy. And he didn't trust it, he didn't believe it. And they spent a ton, a ton of money on that. Where, you know, we're seeing things coming together. You know, some positives. Jervon Dexter had a good game, probably his best game, I think, as a pro. Coming together. Again, I don't think Dexter is going to be this impact three tech, this massive star. But I do think he can be a solid player for this team. Tyreek Stevenson gets his first pick, had some really good coverage, did really well. That entire defense, they rattled Jared Goff, and they did not take advantage. The team as a unit. Did not take advantage of those early turnovers. They did not score enough points off those turnovers because Getzey, again, was conservative on those play calls right afterwards. He didn't just, like, try and take advantage of a shell shock team. Again, another missed opportunity. That offensive line did a really good job. They ran the football effectively. They gave Justin Fields time, and look what he did. So there were some positives. Because when you play good football for 54 minutes, 55 minutes, whatever it was, yes, there's going to be positives. But when you continue, continue to be hindered by terrible coaching, and that's exactly what was going on there, terrible coaching, time and time again, because of Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze, this is what happens. The second historic loss on the season. And because we continue to have these historic losses, what do we end up always talking about on this podcast and everywhere else? First pick survivor. And we had some more positivity last week in first pick survivor. Absolutely, the Green Bay Packers, they win a game, fourth win. See you, Green Bay. We no longer have, now again, still a chance at maybe the second pick. But we no longer have to worry about the Green Bay Packers getting the first pick. Get them the hell 
out of here. The LA Rams, fourth win. See ya. You're gone from first pick survivor. And we are down to just five teams remaining. And one of those five teams, the New York Giants, won their third game of the year. And now they play the New England Patriots next week, which is great because either the New England Patriots and Giants will each have three wins and distance themselves from Carolina, or the Giants will get their fourth win and eliminate themselves from first pick survivor. The Titans still sit at three and seven. I know Will Levis has struggled the last couple of weeks. You got to think Levis is going to get them another win. I still think the Cardinals are going to win a couple games with Kyler Murray. They, they were in that game last week. They just couldn't get it done. And the Patriots, who knows? But the Panthers, again, continue to stink. They are one and nine. So things are looking good for the draft next year. But the bottom line here is the Chicago Bears are now three and eight. Matt Eberflus has never won an NFC North game. Take back the North by going 0 and 9. Bang! Good. Jeez, this is unbelievable. We're here. Unbelievable. We are here. But again, if the Bears do the right thing, offensive coach here in 2024 with a top two pick. And, and again, Justin Fields, let's see what happens here. That was a heck of a game. It's going to make things interesting, but I still think if they have a top two pick, they will take Williams or May. I just think it's too tantalizing. You know, Ryan Poles with it. We got to be blown away by a quarterback prospect. They're going to be blown away by those two quarterback prospects. But if they do trade Justin Fields, I will say this. Justin Fields' team is now my second favorite team in the league because I want that guy to succeed any way possible. All right. We're going to talk to Herb Howard. We're going to see how he feels about this Chicago Bears team. He joins us next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the podcast. I'm excited to do this one because this is the first time we've had this guy on. He is Herb Howard. He covers the Chicago Bears for the bigs, and you can catch him on CHGO on the Bears podcast every Monday. He does a great job there with, with Hogue and Carm. He's at Herb Howard 411 on the Twitter X machine. He joins me now. Herb, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Bill, man, what's going on? Appreciate you for having me, man. I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I mean, it's luckily it's been a couple days here. Had a chance to recover from that that fourth quarter against Detroit. Because because Herb, it, I'm just going to start right here, and we'll we'll get into the details of this game. But I go back to 2014, mm -hmm. Mark Tressman's final year, and the back to back 50 burgers by the Patriots yeah. and the Packers. Those were historic losses. I still I don't remember the team anymore, but I remember. The statistic came out that the Bears are the only team to do that other than like some defunct team from like 1925 that went like 0-11. It was historic that that defense did that. And that pretty much put the final nail in the coffin for Tress when they had to finish the year. Yeah, that was it. To me, having this Broncos loss, which was mm -hmm. the biggest blown lead in franchise history, coupled with the fact that they were 40-plus time of position, plus three 
in turnovers and throwing another one in the mix. That whole, you run the ball 40 times, you pretty much are guaranteed to win. They had 46 runs in that game. Like everything lined up that they should have won this game and they still blew the lead. You have two losses like that. You want to throw away 2022 because it was intentional? Fine. But you have two losses like that, Herb. I just don't know how Matt Eberflus has anything that he can hang his hat on at this point to keep his job in 2024. Yeah, I don't know what he has to stand on. I mean, you talk about throwing out 2022 while they were implementing their culture and developing their locker room, right? We talk about the hits principle and the hustle and intensity and the ball and playing smart. Those are things that should get you through once you have a historic lead like you had against the Broncos. Those are things that should get you through when you're up 12 with, you know, with four minutes left against Detroit on the road, you know, division leading opponent. Like these are the things that you should be, these are games that you should be able to win if you are playing with this hits philosophy. And I think that, you know, as a coach, you just can't you can't not take accountability for those types of losses. I remember how angry I was after the week four loss to Denver. I was like, this we we can stop this right now. If Ryan Poles wanted to come in that post-game press conference and said Matt won't be coming in here, I'd be perfectly fine with that too. Uh that didn't happen. And we've heard Ryan Poles kind of go out of his way to to give Matt Eberflus a vote of confidence um about a month ago. And I don't, I don't think that was necessary, but he chose to do it. And then now I don't know I don't know how you continue to take that stance with what we saw take place on Sunday at Fort Field. So um those are those are two very, very damning losses and, and worthy of being compared to those two from 2014. Yeah, and, and like you said, that that vote of confidence, and again, I know vote of confidence in October doesn't matter really in January, but he went out of his way on that one. Yeah. That wasn't just like, hey, Eberflus is our guy. We we believe in him. No, this was like, you guys don't know how good he is, what he's doing behind. Like, Poles just, he doubled down. Like, he 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 wanted everyone to know that Matt Eberflus was his guy. It was a little bold for me, but if Ryan Poles, like, I, I, I said this before he came on, it, he should have that fourth quarter playing in his office on a loop and just bore that into his brain that his guy, his guy was in charge of that, you know, those conservative play calls and those decisions and had that game fall apart. Yeah, you would think that 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 Ryan wouldn't be trying to hitch his own wagon so tightly to Matt Eberflus. At this point, you might be wanting to put a little bit of distance in between you and him as it pertains to, to the president, the new president, Kevin Warren, who wasn't here when either one of y'all got here. And so, um, you know, there's a there's a real argument or discussion to be had about whether or not Ryan Post truly had the autonomy to choose Matt Eberflus as his head coach. We all know what the process was. And, you know, he had three finalists to choose from when he already, when he got the job, that being said, he's kind of in lockstep with him and say, that's my guy. That's what I want. It's like, all right, well, this isn't working, right? This, this is not working. You talk about not having won a division game. You're talking about, you know, six wins. It, it's, it's just not enough. And then you couple those things with these historic losses that you're having, like how many times are the Bears going to be on the wrong side of a historic loss? Like to right. say, well, they're the only team who's lost 50 points back to back. They're the only team who was up, you know, uh, 12 and they had 40 minutes of possession and they ran the ball 40 times and they were plus three in the turnovers. Like how do you continue to lose these types of games? And so uh, eventually you got to be able to um, hang that on somebody. And I, it, it's a collective issue, right? It's not It's not just Coach Eberflus, but at the end of the day, this is your team, this is your staff, your fingerprint is on every single thing that gets done. And so if y'all choose to, you know, take a conservative route in the fourth quarter and play not to lose instead of playing to win, and then you lose anyway, then that's on you. Yeah, and, and these games to me, these this stretch here with the two Detroit, Minnesota on the road, and Cleveland, 
to me, these are the, these are the gauges to to judge Matt Eberflus. Like that that was a huge loss in terms of judging him because and, and I'll go up because I was listening to CHGO uh I think not this past month the Monday before and I think you guys mm-hmm. were doing like your best case and worst case scenarios. Yeah. And Adam Hogue brought up this idea that if they finish seven and ten and I got where he was going because you go from three wins to seven wins that that's sure. going to be enough to save Eberflus's job. And he basically said they'd win one out of these like next three, four games and then finish hot and go seven and 10 with the, with Atlanta, Arizona and, and green Bay to finish the year, three beatable teams. I was looking at when I heard that, like that bothered me and I'm not trying to go after Adam. I love Adam. He does a great yeah. job, but the, what bothered me is not what Hoke said. Cause I believed that that, that was accurate, that that could absolutely happen mm-hmm. to me. I'm looking at the going, if the bears are four and 10 and then win three, basically meaningless games against three teams that probably are also just playing out the string. And, you know, you, th- those end of the season games are always weird. You, you, you know that, especially in the NFL, who knows who's playing, right. who's sitting. If those, if they go on a three game winning streak and go from four and 10 to seven and 10, and that saved Eberflus's job, that bothered, that, that just, the idea of that bothered me. Not that Hogue said it, the fact that I went there and went, <laughs> yeah, that could happen. That's what bothered me. So, <laughs> When I look at this, I go, I, I forget those last three games to me. I don't think they any wins in there really matter. You know, yeah. beating Cleveland, I know they don't have a quarterback right now, but that is a, a that defense is defense. legit. You know, yeah. Detroit twice and, and Minnesota's playing really well with Dobbs. Like if they, you got to you got to go like two and two in this this four game stretch. And now, even if they somehow do pull it off, and I don't know if they will, if they do go two and two in this four game stretch, but still having a loss like that. Again, I, I just sit there, and before I want to get into Luke Getzey and some stuff, I just I just don't see how uh, when you have that, when you sit down with your boss in January and evaluate your job, like that's that's just tough to overcome. Yeah, I think seven and ten in that scenario would absolutely be fool's gold, and I think that Ryan Poles would be foolish to accept that as some type of uh, legitimate proof of progress. It's not right; those three teams are beatable by themselves, right? And so you know, not not winning the games that you have a chance to win against actually competitive teams, that matters, right? And you had a chance to get a big one. You had a chance to get a big feather in your cap and say, okay, here's a signature win for us this season. Season hasn't gone the way we wanted to, but as you talk about evaluating these last seven games with Justin Fields and with the coaching staff, that would have been a big way to start it off and go on the road again to Ford Field and walk away with the win. But not only a win, but a win in the fashion that you did. They dominated the football games, them. They dominated the football game for 57 minutes, 56 right. minutes, right. right? Just dominating the football game, playing it the way you wanted to, getting the 46 carries, you know, like dominating the time possession, taking the ball away. You're doing everything that you wanted to do. You were protecting the football. And then to give that all back is indicative of a staff and a team that doesn't yet know how to win. And that is important to learn how to win. We saw that with the Detroit Lions last year as they kind of got hot towards the end. That served them well coming into this season. So if you look forward to next season, you want to be able to say, okay, this team finally figured out how to win down the stretch of this season and not against the Falcons and the Cardinals, right? You want to say they were able to do it against some good teams with some things on the line. The, 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 the Lions went to went to Lambeau Field while the Packers were trying to clinch a playoff berth and got the win in, in yep. Week 18. So that's a different situation. And I think that they have to be able to, to pull off some of those things. But it's not – like, as we get deeper into this game, man, it, everybody's going to remember the last four minutes. But there were a lot of things that allowed them – to be able to give that game back. Some of them go back as early as the Bears' second offensive drive. And so they've you you've just got to be 
more aware throughout the game and have that killer instinct when you have an opportunity to pounce on a team the way they did. The Lions, the Bears had the ball three times before the Lions completed the drive. And when I mean completed the drive, I mean score or punt, right? Every offense wants to end their drive with points or a punt. And the Bears had the ball three times before the Lions were able to do that. The Bears scored on their first drive. Then Tyreek Stevenson got a pick. Then TJ Edwards got a pick. And the Bears had seven points thereafter. It's like you you, you can't do that. you got to be able to pounce on the team when you have that opportunity. You get the ball three times before they complete a drive. You should be up at least 13 to nothing. At least 13 to nothing. I would like to say 17, but at least 13 to nothing. Absolutely. And now you can now you can get this team on the road. You can take that crowd out of the game. You can start to put you know Jerry Goff in those obvious passing situations where you can start to pin your ears back. They didn't do that. They let that team stay around in that game for way too long. And even when you thought they had sealed it, uh, just wasn't enough. Yeah, and, and you're 100 right. I was I was going to bring that up. The fact that they didn't take advantage. You know, they scored some points off turnovers in the second half. And Eberflus, who loves to you know, point out the positives, brought that up, but did not bring up those first half turnovers where you had a chance to, I mean, Jared Goff was flustered. That, I mean, yeah. you know, he, he was not playing well. He was turning it over. He was not seeing the field. You had an opportunity to put the, you know, like, like you said, like 17 to nothing, like that game is practically over at that point, especially yeah. the way that offense was running the football and fields was moving the ball. That, that, that was an op, a missed opportunity. And, and, and while we're talking about Getze, I'm going to make a statement that to me is, is an idiotic statement, but, but it feels truthful to me. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like Luke Getze trusts Tyson Bajan more mm. with the game on the line than mm. Justin Fields. Mm. That's how it feels. And I understand that it's a stupid statement, but you watch Luke Getze, who was allowed to throw that ball to Darnell Mooney against the Carolina Panthers, uh, you know, yeah. big opportunity to ice the game. Tyson Bajan, who was allowed to throw the football all, all over the field against the New Orleans Saints in the second half. But when Justin Fields is in those same situations, not he's not even running with Justin Fields. He's letting he's only just having Justin hand the ball off to you know stack boxes and low percentage runs. Yeah. I don't understand the thought process of having a dynamic player like Fields, a, a guy you're trying to figure out if he's the guy. But then it seems to be that this offensive coordinator does not trust, whether it's a turnover or a sack, whatever he's thinking, he just doesn't trust Justin to make the play. Yeah, that's the part for me when you talk about them not understanding the assignment in terms of trying to find out definitively if Justin is a closer or not, right? We're still trying to figure that out. And yet when the opportunity presents itself for him to go out and show and prove that, yes, I am or no, I am not a closer. You guys take the ball out of his hands, right? On the third and seven, I understand what you're you, or we're, we're, we're content with the field goal and we'll go up 12. Okay, cool, but it's third and seven. Why not put the ball in the hands of your you know, most dynamic playmaker and see if he can get you a first down? It's third and seven. It was third and seven for Tyson Bajan, like you said, when he hit Darnell Mooney to seal the game against Carolina. You give Justin Fields that same opportunity. You don't choose to do it then, then you come back on the next drive and first down, second down, you go run right up the middle with Khalil Herbert into a nine-man box. What are you doing? Put the ball in Justin's hands. If you want to run the ball, if you want to throw the ball, if you want to spread these guys out so that the most athletic player on the field can have some space, that would work too. Instead, you all compact everything. You bring three tight ends on the field. You've got Tane on the field, you got Cole Komet, and you got Mercedes Lewis. They're all on the field. And so the Lions look around, they're like, oh, okay, thank you, right? We'll we'll just pack this all in, and they got nine people in the box, and you try to run 
this, you know, straight up the middle. You're like, well, Justin has a read there and maybe he can keep it. And maybe, sure, maybe he can keep it on that second one and maybe he can beat the end around. But how about you help him out? How about you spread this thing out so he has space to operate? How about you give him some run pass options to where maybe he can hit DJ Moore or Cole Komet? Instead, you take the ball out of his hands and run straight into a nine-man box twice for no gain. And then just tell him basically, you know, get it done on, on third down. And he tries and he throws a pretty good ball to Tyler Scott, but good ball or not, that's not a high percentage play, right? And 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 you just didn't give him you didn't give him a realistic chance. And especially when you're talking about trying to evaluate him to find out if he's your guy going forward. It does to me, there seems to be a disconnect in what I imagine Ryan Poles and his staff are trying to do and what Matt Eberfuls and his staff are trying to do. Yeah, and, and you, you brought up two play calls that, that I wanted to bring up there. It's the third and seven and the third and nine because, you know, I know a lot of people kind of got on Eberflus for not going for it on, on the fourth and inches. I'm a pretty conservative armchair coach. I wanted mm-hmm. them to kick the field goal against the Broncos when, when they mm-hmm. decided to. But again. Me too. That's why, that's why I was like, Ryan Poulsen, come fire him right now. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I wanted the field goal. Like this was, you had a chance to take the lead. You got to take the lead. If you were going to run that, why is Justin Fields not having the ball in his hands to make that play? You just hand it off to Cleo Herbert. So same thing there. So fast forward to this game, fourth and inches, I get go up nine, two scores. That is a significant difference. I, I was with okay that. with it. I was with and, that. And the next drive, once it's fourth and six, I'm okay kicking the field goal there. You're going up sure. two touchdowns. Fine. The big problem there is the third and seven call, just, just exactly. busting it up with, with Roshan. Like do some things, you know, Justin was he was playing well. He was making right reads. He wasn't making decisions where you sit there and go, I'm worried about this. We roll him mm-hmm. out, give him opportunities to run, even if it's just a one-read pass. If it's not there, take off. You know, you know, do something creative. They 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 didn't do that. That really bothered me on third and seven. To me, when they got that first down, and it was first and ten. They said, all right, we're playing for the field goal. Like, they didn't even want to get another first down. If we can run the ball three times and get a first down, great. But we're not going to really try to get a first down. So that that bothered me there. Not the field goal decisions, but what led up to the field sure. goal decisions. It also bothered me, by the way, that, and I don't know if you caught this, in the post-game press conference, Matt Eberflus thought it was fourth and inches on the second field goal. Mm-hmm. To me, mm-hmm. if you're up nine and you have fourth and inches, you better go for it at that point. And he's right. trying to defend that. But that's aside. That's just Matt Eberflus getting confused at the podium yet again. Yeah. But yeah. You, you brought up the third and nine play, and that's the other one I, I, I want to talk to you about is – I don't like the idea, and, and you brought it up, low percentage play. I don't like the idea that, that that read is, all right, DJ Moore is the number one read. The safety comes up, takes away DJ Moore, so the next read is to go deep. I don't like that that's the play that Getsy called. But I'm also going to take it another, another step further. Tyler Scott has not been reliable, right? He, he couldn't right. be the punt returner because he couldn't catch in, in, in August, you know, the, the, the punts. He had the fumble earlier in the game. You know, we hurt, you know, he had some hands issues like Tyler Scott is not, you know, Cooper cup. He, he does not have the sure hands right now that you just know you're going to throw and they're just going to stick in there. Why are you calling a play where you've got three targets on this team that Justin Fields can trust? You've got right. Komet, Mooney and more. Like there, there isn't a fourth guy. Those three guys are significantly above everyone else. If that's the play you want to run, why isn't Darnell Mooney in Tyler Scott's role? Why aren't you mm-hmm. throwing that to Darnell Mooney? Why is Tyler mm-hmm. Scott the second read on a really important call where I would have wanted them to keep it closer to nine, 10 yards and not take the deep shot. But if you're going to take the deep shot, make that Darnell Mooney and not Tyler Scott. 
Now I agree with you one hundred percent because I, I don't I don't have a problem. There's a lot of discussion about Justin's decision. I don't have a problem with the decision. He read it out. The, the his read dictated that he take the shot, and he took the shot, and he delivered a really good ball. Right? He threw three deep balls yesterday. Two of them were on the money. The other one he overshot DJ early in the game, and I'm I'm fine with that. Right? I'm I'm perfectly I'm perfectly fine with that. Him taking the shot, but with I'm with you. Know your personnel, right? And so you get Tyler Scott out there who's not having – he's already put the ball on the turf and turned it over, right? And now you got him with the game on the line. You're trying to put the thing away. If I'm trying to put the game away, I'm throwing it to one of my guys, right? I'm, I'm throwing the ball to one of my guys to put the game away. That's just what it is. And I understand that, you know, they had put DJ and Moon on the other side, and I'm sure that that attracts a lot of attention from the defense. And Tyler Scott beat his man off the ball immediately. I mean, smoked him right off the line. But and then he stacked them, but then he couldn't track the ball, and then he got stumbled, and now you're not at top speed, and then now it's just beyond your outstretched hand. It's like put a more experienced guy in that situation. Darnell Mooney will probably he'll win off the line as well. He'll stack the guy as well, and he has that speed also, and he can finish the game for you like he did last week. So I, I think he definitely didn't quite put guys in the right position, and that's on coaching again. You got to put your guys in positions to succeed, Absolutely. and when you got the likes of Darnell Mooney to do the same thing going with your fourth round rookie is negligent at best. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about Justin Fields. So let, let's get off coaching here. Cause we've been doing that for a while. Let, <laughs> let me ask you about Justin. Cause th th yeah. this is really getting into complicated waters because you know, now if we, we put the injury aside and I understand Justin needs to stay healthy and injuries and him missing time in all three seasons is part of the evaluation, but putting the injury aside here, in his last four games, he has played very well in three of the last four. The, the Vikings game, you know, I, I don't think he would, if he stayed healthy, I don't think he would have played better in the second half. It just wasn't clicking. Right. You, you can talk about what gets he was and wasn't doing with him. That's fair. But it wasn't clicking in that game for, for Justin. So three of the last four, he's played well. He's starting to actually stack games. Like, that's what they wanted to see. And him stacking some good games. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're getting to that point. I'll ask you kind of the, the two-pronged, what you think the organization would do and what you would do. If the Bears do have a top two pick, so Williams or May is guaranteed to be there for him, do you reset mm -hmm. the quarterback clock? Like, do you think the organization will automatically do, assuming Ryan Poles is there, forget the coach, assuming Ryan Poles is there, you think Poles automatically resets the QB clock and takes one of these two QBs, even if we start seeing more of these type of performances from fields moving forward? Or do you think there's a chance of maybe doing another haul, you know, basically turning the number one pick last year and trading down again this year and getting just a more obscene level of picks from, from this trade? Where, where are you with Justin? Because like I said, if he, if he plays well here the last six games, you're going to have a really complicated decision. Yeah, I think the ideal situation for the Bears is that Justin does continue to play well down the stretch, right? He's played well on Sunday. He's got six more games. If he has, you know, five good games, I think that you go forward with him. The best scenario for them would be to have already solved their quarterback question going into this offseason with the high draft capital. If you got two top five picks and you don't need a quarterback, you are in a really, really good position. And so that gives you a lot of flexibility, whether you want to trade down for another haul, whether you want to take the wide receiver and the left tackle. Like you can do those types of things um, if you don't have to address the quarterback position. So that's the ideal situation. That should be what the Bears are rooting for. That should be what Ryan Poles 
absolutely wants to see. And that's why I get so upset when they don't allow him to prove that he is that guy, because I'm not sitting here saying I can't sit here and tell you that I've seen him do these things on a consistent basis. I can't. It's just, I, nobody's seen that. Now, right. I'm on record. I'm a Justin Fields guy, and I think he is the guy that can lead this team forward and lead them to a Super Bowl. I believe he has all the tools. I've seen him display all those tools, albeit without the consistency that you would like to see. But I've seen him do everything that you would want to see your franchise quarterback do. That being said, if he's got opportunities to close out some halves or close out some games um, over the remaining course of these six games, you got to give him that opportunity so that Ryan Poles can know definitively I don't need to reset the clock at quarterback because that's not it's not a situation where, okay, you're going to go in and you're going to draft Caleb Williams or you're going to draft Drake May or whoever, and then they're going to come in here and you're going to continue on this trajectory to be a contender. You're resetting this thing, and you just gave somebody $100 million like you're ready to win right now. And so, like, I don't I don't see a good scenario – where where they have to go ahead and reset at, at the quarterback position. So ideally, Justin Fields continues to play well. They become convinced that he's their guy, at least enough to pick up his fifth-year rookie option and say, let's we're, we're with you for the next couple of years. Um, that would be the best-case scenario for the Bears. That's certainly what I would do. I'm hoping that's what Ryan Poles would do, but I don't think he's done with his evaluation yet, Bill. I think he's still trying to figure this thing out, and the coaches need to help him figure this out by allowing Justin to operate in those situations when they arise. Yeah, because here's the one thing. And if you start playing with the idea of these draft picks and what they can do with them, if you're not taking a quarterback, if you have, if you're committing to Justin Fields, like you said, pick up the fifth year option, have two years. And let's just say you you have the third pick where you can get yourself Mm -hmm. Marvin Harrison and whether you're in the top two or whatever, and you're able to trade back, or maybe, maybe the Panthers win some games and you're three and six, whatever it might be. Let's just say you go all in for fields and you grab Brock Bowers and you grab Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you're going to keep DJ Moore and you got the running backs behind there and Cole Komet, you know, so you can pick up, you know, whatever it might be. Like you can have, you go sign Connor Williams or someone like that, get the center in there to go with these other four guys. You've got a really good offensive line and you've got weapons everywhere for Justin Fields. Like at that point, I, I think Justin would just be supernova at that point. I, I, I do you, too. You have that kind of a, you know, that you just can't fail with that kind of group. I, I, that, that's exciting. Like, that's fun. Or if the Bears are first and third or something like that at the end of the year and you trade back and you get a similar thing like the Carolina Panthers did where you add another player. Like, I did an article that was just fun. And I said, and at the time the Falcons were nine. I'm like, all right, well, let's let's do the same trade they did with the Panthers with the Falcons. And let's add, you know, neighbors with the ninth pick and Brock Bowers with the fifth pick. And we got Drake London. And, you know, mm. you brought in Drake London, like the DJ Moore piece. And now you've mm-hmm. got neighbors and 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 Bowers rotating in 11 and 12 personnel with with you know with, with DJ Moore. And, and Drake London, like you, you have, and and yes, it's just hypotheticals and fun, but literally, it's intriguing how much how much asset they have in this draft right now. This is the type of thing they can do. They can set this team up to go on a run, and, and it's you know Ryan Poles. He did a hell of a job with that Panthers trade. You know, you you can like Ryan Poles or dislike Ryan Poles, but he he had the right idea there. And if you give him another opportunity to do something like that, I think he could do something special with this team. Yeah, he's got a he's got a lot of draft capital. He's in a great position to be able to take any one of a number of roads going forward. And I think that he's shown 
the type of person that he wants to be in terms of, you know, we're, we're, we're fine with moving back. We're fine with accumulating, you know, more future draft assets or bringing in proven players to using those assets to bring in already proven players at this level. And I think that you give him another opportunity. I think he'll do something very similar to that and continue to um, add an influx of talent to this roster. And so I, listen, like I'm with you, you can like him or you can not like him, but it's in terms of GMs, you you can't really make a complete evaluation for a couple of years. You got to figure out some of these things is going to take years to know whether or not this worked or not. Right. We just don't know. Right. It looks like Darnell Wright is going to be a player in this league. Right. That, that, that's fine. Right. I, but you can, you can still talk about Braxton Jones. I know everybody's talking about, you know, left tackle from Penn state and that's, that's, that's fine. I like the kid too, but I, I don't have a problem with Braxton Jones. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with him being being there. And so um, if you choose to go in a different direction, I'm fine with that too. But some of these things just take time to say, okay, did he make the right decision or not? And um, I think given another year, he'll make some more moves and then you'll see going forward. But I think all of it is predicated on whether or not he has to, he thinks he has to go quarterback at the top of the draft. And if he doesn't, then the whole entire world is open to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've always said you got to give a, a GM three off seasons to give him some level of a true evaluation. And what he does here with this draft and everything is going to be a big impact on that third off season. So that, that yeah, it's like it's like college. You can't you can't evaluate me and at least let me get a full class through here. Right. Let me get yeah. my freshman class to senior year, at least. And let's see what we've had, what we've been able to do. So uh, I, I, I would do the same thing with a GM, just to give an opportunity to actually you know, build his build the team the way he sees fit. Put his fingerprints on this roster, and and then if it's not what it should be, and you you feel like you need to reset, then fine. But two years in, that's not enough time to evaluate a GM. All right, last one for you, and then I'll let you go. Thank you for so much time. Um, My pleasure. Let me talk Tremaine Edmonds because I have been. And I understand he was coming off an injury here, and, and that may have impacted his play. But I've been frustrated with Tremaine Edmonds and his lack of impact plays. Yeah, he's going sideline to sideline. He's getting seven, eight tackles a game, but they're, they're not. They're not a lot of stuffs. They're not a lot of TFLs. There's. They're not a lot of big impact plays. And and I I brought it up a couple times on my podcast. I tweeted it out during the game because I didn't like the way Edmonds looked in the first half and said that I just not a fan of this allocation of resources of paying a mic. $18 million a year. I didn't like it at the, the time. It's not a second guess. This was a first guess. And it was confusing to me because when they traded Roquan and, and you know, everyone knew Roquan was five years, a hundred million, like that was going to get the job done. And I said, all right, well, this is a, you know, Brian Poles is kind of like, you, you know, you don't pay, you know, you hear that modern philosophy. You don't pay running backs and you don't pay linebackers unless they, unless they're an edge in a three, four. So, all right, fine. So he's not going to pay Roquan, so he sends Roquan. But then they turn around and, and sign Tremaine Edmonds, and I know the, you know, oh, he's a better fit for what Matt Eberflus wants to do. Except, well, fine, whatever. But I don't like the idea of paying linebackers that level of money. And mm -hmm. when you had Jack Sanborn, I'm not trying to make Jack Sanborn out to be an all-pro. When you had Jack Sanborn, that's not a Ryan Pace guy, that's a Ryan Poles guy. Ryan Poles brought Jack Sanborn in, and he played tremendously well the last couple months of the season at you know less than a million dollars a year that what you're paying for an additional 17 million dollars a year out of Tremaine Edmonds is 
just not acceptable to me. And then, you know, I put that out. And then basically five minutes later, Edmonds had the interception and everyone jump in my mentions and kill me for it. And, and I'm like, look, that was a, that was a Javon Dexter play. That was, that just was happened a, to go right a, to Edmonds. Was a nice play by that kid. Absolutely. But to me, then you go fast forward that the missed tackle against Jameer Gibbs, that was one of the top three or four plays in terms, in my mind, in terms of mm-hmm. why this game turned like that, that could have been a big, a significant play. He had an opportunity. You're paying that guy $18 million. That's a play. You got to make that tackle. And he allowed Gibbs to get out of bounds. So to me, you know, I don't know if that was a Ryan Poles thing to me, that feels like a Matt Eberflus thing about, Hey, I need this guy for my defense kind of a thing. So I don't want to, I don't want to put all the blame on Poles here, especially when I just talked about how, how, much I would trust him with with high draft capital, but wasn't a fan of that signing in the moment, and it is not playing out. I mean, Terrell Terrell Bernard in Buffalo is playing mm-hmm. just like it kind of feels like that's that was a system position there in Buffalo because he is playing just as good as as, as Tremaine Edmonds is. It's just I'm, I'm frustrated with that allocation of resources. What they could have done with that 18 million dollars in terms of beefing up other positions. Not for you on that. And he's he's got he's got three takeaways. And so, you know, his supporters or defenders will, will kind of lean on that and say, "Oh, he's taking the ball away three times. Those are impact plays." But I'm with you in terms of you know what we what we like to see in that linebacker play and getting downhill and and making those stops in the backfield and just making those truly game changing plays. And I don't think we've seen enough of those things. I thought I think he's played fine. I think he's played All well, right. Yeah. right? I think I think he's played fine. But I think two things can be true, right? So I don't think I think too often we get into this either or thing with the Bears and like either 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 Tyson if Tyson Bajan is good, then Justin Fields sucks, right? Or or, or vice versa, right? It can't, like two things can't be true with with, with Bears talking. I think we we get into that a little bit here, and I think it Tremaine Adams is playing fine. Like, I don't have a problem in and of itself with how he's playing. The issue becomes that Jack Sanborn plays just as well, right? Jack Sanborn plays just as well, and he played even just as well Even if it's a year. touch below. Even if it's yeah, a touch yeah. below, you're talking about a yeah. $17 million difference. He, 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 so so to, be, to be on par, to have a player that you had in that spot last year be on par with the guy that you gave $72 million to, Seems like a bad investment, right? It seems like you didn't need to do that. Were you not watching 57 fly around the field last year and make plays? Because he was, right? He was doing that going back to last summer in training camp. Every single time he got an opportunity, he's flashing like, who is Jack Stanborn, right? And then he gets his opportunity, and Roquan's gone, and he plays well. And then you're like, we saw him play well, but whatever, right? We're, we're going to cancel all that. We're going to take the $100 million that we didn't give to Roquan, and we're going to give it to Tremaine and TJ. And then on the surface, like, okay, that's fine. Those are two pretty good linebackers in this league. You got two of them for the price of one that you were going to go to Roquan. Fine, no problem. But void of Tremaine Edmonds coming in and playing all pro-level football, which is what Roquan is doing, Right. If he's he not doing that, that Ravens defense incredible man man if 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 Tremaine isn't doing that and he's just playing at a similar level maybe slightly above of 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 Jack Sanborn then all of a sudden that doesn't look like a smart investment when you had Jack Sanborn for another 3 years right um at, at on his rookie deal on his undrafted rookie deal so um you know it, it just it didn't seem like it doesn't seem like a good 
allocation of resources, like you said, when you talk about him just being at the same level Jack Sanborn can play. When when he's when he's been out of the game, Jack Sanborn's come in. He's played really really well. He played well against the Saints. He was all over the field making plays against the Saints, and so um, that makes it not look like a a really solid investment. And again, it's not to say that Tremaine Evans is playing bad football. He's not playing bad football. But he's not playing so much better than Jack Sanborn that you need to spend seventeen million more on him. Right, like t- Tremaine Edmonds needs to be playing like T.J. Edwards is playing. Then you'd be sitting there and be yeah. like, "All right, that that was worth it." <laughs> now they'd be balling. Now they'd yeah. be balling. But Jameer gives Jameer gives is dynamic, and he made he made both of them look silly on that play. Yeah. Uh, Tremaine had him wrapped up. He spun out of that like, "Let me go." And then in the open field, T.J. Edwards or no linebacker on this team or really not many linebackers in the league have a chance in the spot in the position that TJ was in once Jameer Gibbs spun out of that tackle from, from Tremaine. So um, I don't know. You definitely want to see more, more impact plays from, from, from Tremaine Evans. I want to see more from, from Montez sweat too. And I know he got his first sack in a bears uniform on Sunday and he's been good. He's been good. I, and he's definitely been a difference maker on that defensive line, but I want to see some of those game changing plays that says this is an elite player those elite edge rushers make game changing plays not just difference makers you know for everybody else and i think that's fine there's some real value there i'm not knocking that but eventually i want to see some of those strip sacks some of those tips that turn into picks and things like that that actually change the game i think he has that kind of ability we got to see it though 100 all right there he is he's at herb howard 411 on Twitter. Make sure you're following him. If you're not following Herb, you're not doing it. You're not doing Bears Twitter right. Make sure you're giving him follow. Of course, you can catch him out, catch his stuff on uh, the Bigs, covers the Bears for the Bigs, and Mondays, CHGO. You can catch him there every Monday. He does a great job with Adam Hogue and Mark Carmen. Herb, thanks for so much time. That was a great conversation. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Bill, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, there he is, Herb Howard. I, I'm telling you, Herb Herb is great content. If you if you haven't heard Herb Mondays on CHGO, make sure you check him out. He he does a great job there. Herb, Herb has it all. Like he's got good opinions. He's knowledgeable. He's got passion for the team. He's everything you want. So so make sure you give him a follow. He needs to tweet more, but make sure you give him a follow because he has really good bears content as as we've been doing here going to keep going forward with questions here to wrap up the podcast so let's dive in here got a few today so let's go with el duderino who says how much personnel power does warren have is he truly in charge or is he just administrative new stadium so i I think this is interesting and this is the question really on everyone's mind is how much power does kevin warren have what are we going to see from him this January? Like, if you told me, like, what are you looking forward to most? And this isn't most, but what are you looking forward to? I want to hear Kevin Warren at the podium in what Ted Phillips, you know, next to George McCaskey instead of Ted Phillips. I want to hear what Kevin Warren has to say about the evaluation of this season. It's intriguing and it's critical because here's my belief. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know this 100%. 
I don't think Kevin Warren would take this job to build a stadium. This guy was the commissioner of the Big Ten. He's not going to step away from a position like that to build a stadium. You have an opportunity to be the president of the Chicago Bears. One, you got a lot of stability there. That's a job. I, Ted Phillips just held the job for, what, 20 years? You know, you're going to have some stability there. So that one, that's positive. I don't see him in an administrative role and just building the stadium up. The stadium is a huge part of what Kevin Warren's doing. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying Kevin Warren needs to be involved in the day-to-day operations of the football team, but you've seen him. He's around more than Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips was a ghost around Hallis Hall. He's around a lot more. You see him from time to time watching practice, being out there, just kind of watching how things are going. You know, when they drafted guys back in April and he was just on the job, he was helping make those phone calls. Like, you want those rookies to feel that they matter, that they are going to a franchise that truly wants them. So not only did Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus talk to them, they had the president of the organization talk to them. He is involved in football operations. I'm not saying he's making decisions. He's not sitting down there and saying, hey, we should go draft Brock Bowers. No, that's not his role, nor should it be. His job is to assess the top of the football operations. Ryan Poles, and to some extent, Matt Eberflus. So where is Kevin Warren with those situations? Now, again, and I said this at the time, I don't think you allow Ryan Poles to make a trade like he did for Montez Sweat if he's on the hot seat. So whether Poles was or wasn't on the hot seat, I think Kevin Warren's evaluation is that Ryan Poles deserves more time, that he is building something the right way. So I do think there, El Duderino, that he is in charge. Now, we don't know what his evaluation is. And I don't think George is going to put many handcuffs on him. For example, Matt Eberflus is going to have most likely three years left on this contract. The Bears have only eaten two years once with, uh, with Mark Tressman. They've only ever fired coaches with one year or a lame duck year on their contract. So the fact that they did it only once for Mark Tressman with two years, now they'd have to do it with three. That's something I think that George would hesitate on. And that's where we'll see. Like Kevin Warren says, no, this has to happen. We need organizational change in the coaching staff. So we're going to find out a lot about what Kevin Warren is and isn't in charge of by the time the Chicago Bears are in January and you know potentially making changes. So I wish I had a more definitive answer, but I don't think a lot of people truly know exactly what's going on behind the scenes there with Kevin Warren, but we're going to get a lot of answers here within the next two months. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on. Secret NFL Insider says, it's Caleb no matter what if the Bears are drafting number one overall, right? Let's not overthink this. I would expect that if the Bears have the number one pick, they will draft Caleb Williams. That is my expectation. He continues to make dynamite plays all the time. That USC team is bad. It is a bad football team, and I think Lincoln Lincoln Riley has had a bad year. But Caleb's a dude. There is no doubt about it. But here's what I will say. If the Bears do this right and hire an offensive coach, I don't love the Jim Harbaugh idea, and if they do fire Eberflus and Harbaugh is a thing and he's in the mix, We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. So there's no point to talk about that now. And I will go into the reasons why I am not the biggest Harbaugh fan. 
but I'm certainly more of a Harbaugh fan than a Matt Eberflus fan. So I'm not going to sit there and say that was a bad choice in the moment. I think that's a bad choice, big picture. And if Harbaugh is a thing, I'll get into it. There's no point to get into it now. But Ben Johnson, you know, these type of guys, if you hire a new coach, Matt Eberflus is gone, and you hire a new coach, an offensive-minded guy, Ben Johnson, right, Jim Harbaugh, whoever it might be, and you say, we're, you know, we're moving forward, we've got the number one pick in the draft. If this coach, if we're going to trust this coach and say this is a truly gifted offensive coach, and if you watch Ben Johnson put together those drives, you know, he settled Jared Goff down and he was a clinic. Ben Johnson put on a clinic. And I had Patrick Maher, if you heard him last week, tell you that Ben Johnson calls the best game he's ever seen and watching Ben Johnson perform there in the final five minutes of that football game is exactly why he says that. Ben Johnson is a talent. Now, again, there's more that goes into being a head coach. But Ben Johnson, Jim Harbaugh, whoever it is, you bring them in. Ryan Poles goes, all right, we're going to get on the same page here. We are going to want the same quarterback. If the consensus there is Drake May, if that's what the organization wants, then I'll sit there and say, okay, I'm not going to doubt it. Ben Johnson knows a lot more about football than I do. But, you know, I want that. I want everyone on the same page. Polls, the coach, that's an offensive coach, and the quarterback. Get everything lined up. Do it right. Do proper organizational structure. That's what I want. I want that more than Caleb Williams. I, I mean, I, I just we just talked about it with Herb. I love Justin Fields. And Justin Fields continues to improve. But, again... When you have that first, second pick, what is the organization going to do? Again, if Justin Fields plays like that, and then, you know, if they take away the run, he gets more passing yards, you know, you get that balance back and forth. He's putting up about 275, 300 all-purpose yards per game moving forward here the rest of the season. That's going to be really hard to move away from. Really hard to move away from. So it's going to be interesting to see that thought-making process. But again, do it the right way. Don't retain Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze and let them pick this quarterback. Don't do not do that. I am begging you. And I've said this. If they do that, I think it will break me as a Bears fan. I really, really do. Because it would be that poor of a decision. And you make that poor of a decision when you have the opportunity to finally do something right as an organization, then there's no there's no reason for hope. There's no reason to think they will ever get it right. So why should I continue? to pour my passion and time into this team just to see them go, you know, 2-15 and 15 every year. There's just no point. All right, couple more questions here. Questions. All right, I've been watching uh, Big Bang Theory there with Krepke too much. Couple questions for you. All right, how about at Robbie J? Why aren't the media pressing Flus more in these press conferences, especially where he blatantly contradicts himself? Well, I would say this here, Robbie J., it's tough. I have been in press conferences before. There's a lot of people around. There's a lot of PR guys that are constantly giving you wrap-up signs. It's difficult to challenge coaches, managers, whoever it might be in those situations. Again, it's their job. I'm not giving them a break. And I feel you have seen it a little bit more. Jason Leisure is definitely a guy that tries to push Eberflus a little bit. Like he, he, you know, Eberflus said, oh, you know, you, you look at the tape and you had to coach better. And he said, all right, you said you had to coach better. What specifically would you have done differently as a coach? He wouldn't give him an answer. 
And he, he followed up, and he still didn't give him an answer. Like, you can't keep following up four, five, six times. And the coaches know that. The coaches know if that worst, they have to dodge a question twice in a row. You almost need the entire beat to be on the same page and say, no, you are giving us an actual answer here. Where Jason Leisure asks a question, he avoids it. He follows up, he avoids it. Then they move on to Adam Johns and goes, actually, I'm going to follow up from Jason Leisure. You didn't answer it. And then he avoids it again. And then Brad Biggs is the next question. And Brad Biggs goes, actually, you didn't answer it. I'm going to ask. Like, that's sometimes the level you need from the beat for a coach who refuses to answer questions. And make note that Matt Eberflus does not answer any questions. He is, and he does it intentionally, and he does it because he is a terrible order. So Matt Eberflus has multiple things. You know, the, the beat, I should say, has multiple things working against them to try and get legitimate answers out of this guy. One, he speaks himself into circles, and two, he doesn't want to give you anything anyway because he's just he's uncomfortable up there. He's not good at it. And, and people are like, oh, well, he's starting to look better. But again, him patting himself on the back because he says he got a three and out for the Saints and a three and out against the Panthers, which was not true. Neither of those were three and out situations. He doesn't have a good recall, which is how you end up making multiple mistakes, the same kind of mistake over and over again, right? You need to have that recall as a coach. And him not remembering, you know, Sean McVay, right? Everyone kind of brings up Sean McVay because Sean McVay can remember specific plays, exactly why he called plays. And, you know, from four weeks ago, from a year ago, he has that kind of recall. That's what you need from a coach. Well, they did, you know, especially you're playing in a divisional team and you say, well, they, they do this consistently in this situation. Then you know how to, you know, counter it. But he, Matt doesn't think that way. He, he, you know, if he does, he certainly doesn't show it. So that, that's how you end up making poor mistakes or going wild swings the one way. There's no nuance with him. You know, oh, well, I, I, Went for it on fourth down this time, so now I'm just going to kick the field goal. Like that—that's not. You know, there's nuance. There's there's game situations. You you have to look at the whole picture. And, and I don't think Matt Eberflus does that very well. So, overall, the media can they press him more? Sure, they could press him more. But I still think it. You wouldn't get the answers you are looking for. It's it's just a challenge. You get basically one question and a follow up. And if the coach does not answer the question the way you are hoping for. That's all you get. You move on to the next guy. And if they're not in the same, you know, they have a, a piece they're writing about DJ Moore. So they're going to have a DJ Moore question. And, and then next thing you know, you're, you're, you're off onto a new subject. So it's more of a challenge in that. I'll, I'll cut them a little bit of a break. But yes, they absolutely no, need to hold Matt Eberflus's feet to the fire. In fact, I listened to Sylvie and Waddle do their interview with Matt Eberflus because I, I really wanted to hear what he had to say about losing this game. And, you know, Sylvie did a heck of a job, put his feet to the fire you know, brought up the, the historic losses and, and does he take responsibility for it? And he got Matt Eberflus to say, yes, I am the head coach. I take responsibility for these losses. First time I've ever heard Matt Eberflus say anything like that. So Sylvie gets a lot of credit there. That That is not something Matt Eberflus likes to say, but he kind of gave him no option. And again, then he got into other questions and Matt Eberflus dodged them all. So it's Eberflus is, is a really good question dodger and his befuddled, you know, talk in circles and, 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 you know, it works to his advantage there. So, you know, it is what it is. It's a challenge, but, you know, bottom line there is Matt Eberflus, you know, let's not worry about the, the, the press conferences as much as what we're seeing on the field, because it, basically the press conferences just are what it is on the field. It's a mess. His press conferences is a mess. His coaching is a mess. 
So let's wrap up with a couple more questions. At Ross Reed. Ross is a good uh, follow on Twitter if you don't follow him. Ro- Ro- you know, so check out Ross there. Hi, this is Ross, first-time caller, long-time listener. Toe Jam and Earl on Sega Genesis is one of the 10 greatest video games of all time. There's no question, just a very bold statement. Because I, I did, when I put out the podcast questions tweet, I did say, you know, Thanksgiving food, Sega Genesis, whatever you want to talk about. Because I was one heck of a Sega Genesis player. That that 90s, that was my, I, I'm going to date myself, that was my prime video game time. Right? I, I Like NBA Live 95, I am confident I could pick up a controller and beat anyone in this world. In this world. I, I, I you know, ask some of my high school friends. That, that was my, like Mike Tyson's punch out. I can pick up a remote right now, 007-373-5963, and beat Mike Tyson. I haven't played that game in 15 years. Sometimes, you know, does that mean I have some, you know, great pedestal to, you know, a statue should be made about my wonderful video game prowess from the 1990s? No, but I'm just pointing that out. Now, Toe Jam and Earl, I've played that. That's a good game. I mean, yeah, bold statement, Ross, especially when you get some of these prime... Sega Genesis, here was the thing, and, and I understand if you're playing video games now and if you went back and played, you know, NBA Live 95, you'd be like, this game sucks. Like, I, I get that. But we're, we're talking about 30 years of video game evolution. Those games were so further ahead of everything else. They were NHL 94, NBA Live 95, the Madden series around that time. Those were spectacular spectacular foot, uh, football games. All of those for me, and, and again, you know, what is it, Madden 06, what it was with Vic? Like, to me, Madden kind of started to derail after that. I haven't played Madden a lot the last five, six years. I've done the phone app game. That game, it's terrible. You know, there, there's just not as much to Madden as there used to be. I don't play as many video games as I used to. If I do, they're on my phone. It's, it's not the same thing. But the EA games in the 90s, consistently, like if I made my top 10 list, yes, there'd absolutely be some some non-sports games on there, but those video, you know, when you've got access to Sega Genesis, you know, games, Toe Jam and Earl, compared to the peak, peak EA, where EA, where Electronic Arts was a breakthrough system, that, and, you know, and there you go, from at SJS Illini, you know, Steven there from uh, Windy City Gridiron says, this tweet just made me want to play NFL NFL football 94. And, and that's the thing. Those sports games were so good. To me, it was NHL 94. You know, Madden, uh, you know, Madden was great. And Madden was great year after year. It was fun. But, like, there were no hockey fans in America. And, and NHL 94 made kids, teenagers, people in their 20s become hockey fans because that game was so good. NBA Live 95 was so good. I'll take the Utah Jazz and I'll beat you with anyone. I could drop 60 points with Felton Spencer. That gets besides the point. All right. So there it is. Any more questions? Make sure you look for my tweets on, you know, Monday or Tuesday. Just check my TL at Bill T. Zimmerman. I always send out a tweet. You can send questions there. Go back and I'll check back to old tweets. If you have a question on Thursday that you want answered on next week's podcast, make sure you send a question that direction. We'll get to it. So don't feel like, you know, you have to be following and paying attention on Monday or Tuesday. You don't have to. There's absolutely opportunities for to ask me questions whenever. Let's, let's have fun with this. Again, you want to talk bears, we'll talk bears. I'll try and answer anything I can, but we'll have some fun as well. Now, let's do a prediction as we always do. And we've got the Minnesota Vikings. And, 
It seems that it's trending that Justin Jefferson is not going to play because the Vikings have a bye after that and they could really stretch it out and make sure he's fully healthy. And they may be the Vikings may be looking at this and going, we're at home, the Bears are terrible, we can win without Justin Jefferson. That may be the case. And so we may not see him. But the way the Vikings are playing, and I understand the Bears just played great football for 56 minutes. Again, what, there's no reason to pick the Chicago Bears. There isn't, and I hate that, that that's, the, that's the situation. But there's no reason to pick the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears have proven that they do not know how to win football games. Until they prove that they know how to win football games, this is where we're at. So the Minnesota Vikings, they're going to be on the road. It's going to be a tough situation. Matt Eberflus is again going to be looking for his first victory ever in the NFC North, which is just, that is such a, when I say stupid, sad, I, I mean that in terms of that, that, that it's not worth paying attention to. Stupid that this is the reality of Matt Eberflus's tenure, that he cannot win a divisional game after they said they were going to take back the North. It is just an embarrassment. But again, Josh Dobbs playing well. He's got the Vikings rolling. Brian Flores has that defense humming. And based on what they did, if Luke Getze does not change up his game plan at all from what he did previously, then Justin Fields is in for a long day because he cannot play that way against this blitzing team. You've got to move Justin Fields around. Hopefully Luke Getze has a half a brain and does that, but we will see. But either way, I do not think the Bears stay, you know, are able to win this one. They are going to lose yet again. They are going to fall to three and nine. And we are going to be one step closer to a coaching change at the end of the year. We'll give you a score. Let's call it 27 to 17. The Vikings defeat the Chicago Bears. But Justin Fields plays much better than he did previously. That's what I was saying. I'm not saying Fields will be amazing. He won't be elite with Flores Blitzen. He will get, you know, Fields for two or three sacks that may result in a, a turnover or two. But you will see Justin Fields make some electric plays and do some things, and it will be fun to watch. Even if it's frustrating, it'll be fun to watch Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bear down. Yes. Yeah.